The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good morning, guys. I invite your attention to the uh, book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Thank you very much, as always, Meg, for playing. And if you're visiting with us, we are actually starting a new series. Some of you who've been with us, you're, you're automatically turning to Mark 3, which is not where we're at, but uh, we camped out there for so many weeks going through the uh, study of the 12 apostles that uh, you realize that we are in a different study. And what we're going to be looking at this month, for many of you, may be new. For some of you, it's old hat, and I'm glad it is because it's something you need to know. But today, we're going to be starting a series, what are called the five solas of the Reformation. And a sola is just anything in Latin that means only. Faith alone, Christ alone, for God's glory alone, today's scripture alone, and also by faith alone. The five solas of the Reformation. We'll get there in just a minute. But if you're visiting, you don't have a Bible, we're on page 996. And as we always say, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free. Take that blue Bible, uh, use it, take it home. We'd rather you have a copy of God's Word than not. So please feel free. But why are we doing this? Well, we're not here, first off, to venerate anyone I'm going to share about here in just a minute. We don't believe in worshiping people. We worship one God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's who we worship. But you need to know your history because your history is going to inform a lot about your faith today. Because the mistakes of the past often rear their heads in the mistakes of the future. And what we're going to look at today is Scripture alone. Why is it? And why is it practical to you? This isn't just a theological, academic, white ivory tower exercise. Why is it so important that the Bible alone informs everything we do as a church, you do as a family, you should do as a business person, you should do as a student, as a stay-at-home mom, whatever you are, retired person, because the scripture alone speaks. But before we get there, let me just tell you a little bit of thing. Uh, how many have heard of Martin Luther? Now, many of you are going to say, uh, Darren, don't you mean the guy we get off, uh, you know, the gentleman who was the uh, uh, civil rights protester and we get off a holiday for in January each year? That's not the same guy. Quite a bit different. Actually, when, when Martin Luther does this, this is what happens. Here's a couple memes for you uh, modern people. Uh, Martin Luther, this isn't what he said, but he says, when I don't always nail things to doors, but when I do, stuff happens. And uh, here's another one that says he nailed it, literally. If you know your history, you know that on October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago, the church forever changed by God's grace. Because on that day, an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther, not the civil rights protester, but the monk, nailed uh, 95 theses, as he called them, to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And these 95 theses were complaints against the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm using that name specifically. And they were an invitation to public dialogue and dispute regarding the very gospel of Jesus Christ that you congregation have taken and have come to know so dear here. And before he knew it, his 95 theses were taken down by some students and they were copied on the most recent invention of the printing press and just distributed through Germany and soon throughout all of known Europe at the time, or most of it. 
And what resulted today is what many of you may know as the Protestant Reformation, a protest against the theological abuses of the Catholic Church and that distorted the true gospel of Christ. The Reformation was, guys, in reality, a revolt. An Augustinian monk nailing something to the door started where you have landed today as a product of that. The Protestant Reformation had monumental effects. It affected every social climate. It affected the political climate. It affected the economics of the countries and even the education of the countries. But nowhere was it felt more deeply when he nailed those on August 31st, excuse me, October 31st, 1517, than the spiritual climate of Europe. You see, the Reformation was a recovery of the preaching of the Word of God. Because in those days, if you were not a priest or a high-ranking church official, you had limited, if not any, access to the Bible itself. Scary, isn't it? After a thousand years of darkness that had surrounded the church with very few exceptions, the truth of the Word of God was suddenly thrust back into the public discussion. And the Bible suddenly became the issue of the day. With respect, it's not kneeling, protesting in the NFL. It's not whatever else we may be looking at. In those days, what would have been covered on the media is this guy named Martin Luther just nailed something and ultimatum on the door of a church. And the doctrine issue became the focus of the great minds of the world in Europe. And church and society were forever changed. It's a great reminder. Psalm 19.7 tells us this. Very familiar verse to you. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it refreshes or converts the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy and makes the wise simple. How could someone nailing 95 kind of pithy, short statements change the world forever? Well, here's what happened. Spiritually speaking, the life of the church was reformed and revitalized. The word of God was translated unlike ever before into the language of the people, the common people like you and me. The evangelical message which preached. Christian schools that we just take for granted. I mean, you can pop in the Northland and go to four or five different Christian schools if you're a parent. They were formed for the first time. Modern missions were formed as we realized that we have a gospel and there are millions, if not billions of people far, far away that had never heard the gospel before. Seminaries were started. Commentaries were written. Christian schools were started. Families got together, not around anything else but the word of God and studied it together. Congregational singing. Do you realize there was a time in church history where you didn't sing, you just kind of sat quietly? Now, many of you all would be like, yes, I'm going to go to that church, Darren. I know that. But congregational singing was brought back and recovered. The juice and the bread were now served to the common people in the Lord's Supper. And most importantly, countless were brought to salvation in Jesus Christ. All of a result in God's sovereign plan and providence of one guy nailing probably a couple pages, I think it was, on a door with 95 theses on that door. Literally, when he nailed it, things changed. So what was at heart at the Reformation, and why is this important to you? Friends, that's what we hope to unpack in the coming weeks. But today, we're going to look at what we call sola scriptura. Again, sola is a Latin word that means only. Scriptura is scripture. Sola scriptura. And the big idea today comes out of that. The big idea is just our rifle thesis of where we're going with the sermon. Look, you don't have to ask forgiveness for or keep back the Bible or bury the Bible. The scripture can bear any weight, and any society that changes, any culture that changes, any church that changes, any morality that changes, guys, the Bible never changes. And it is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice because it is living and active. 
you know, and we affirm that, don't we? We do. You're Bible-believing Christians, but often we take sola scriptura and turn it into sorta scriptura, meaning that we kind of like it here and we like it there, but we don't like it when it really presses where we don't want it to press. And the sufficiency, the, the necessariness of Scripture is the most practical doctrine because it tells you not only what you believe, but it tells you how to live. How do you handle a wayward child? How do you handle when your heart is so set on the things of the world? How do you handle when your boss says, no, just change that number to this number and, and, and we'll, we'll cook the books. No one will know. How do you handle those things? Solo Scripture. How do you love your wife, husband? Solo Scripture, the Bible alone. How do you run a church? Well, it's not like Wall Street. It's not like Hollywood. You go back to the Bible. And friends, the scripture strips us of our confidence and false assumption, and we are condemned that if something we hide from ourselves, the scripture will show us. So I want to look at four things this morning. That's a little bit more than our usual sermons, Baptist people, but four truths about the Bible's sufficiency. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and examine why The reformers, like Martin Luther said, only the Bible, not tradition, but only the Bible. And I want you to see that the the scripture, the the only alone enlightens us, examines us, empowers us, and establishes us. And friends, these five solas are things that as we come, I want just to make clear again, we're not here to venerate. We're not here to celebrate necessarily Martin Luther. We're not here to celebrate old dead guys. We're here to worship the same Jesus who's the same yesterday, today, and forever that those old dead guys we quote a lot around here worshiped. That's what we're here to do. And isn't it awesome someday as we sang that we're going to be singing with all these people in heaven? I don't know how that's going to look, if they're going to have their same garb on or if, you know, if our, our, our garb's going to change, but we will all be worshiping the same Lord by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, that the Scripture tells us alone, for God's glory alone. With that in mind, would you join me in standing as we read God's word together, if you're able, in honor of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And uh, as matching our pew Bible, I'll be reading out the ESV translation this morning. Very familiar verses to you, but necessary ones this morning. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Paul's writing to Timothy. He's telling him how to handle himself in the midst of much chaos in the culture, in his ministry and in his life. And he tells him how the Bible alone will point him that way. And that's what we're going to look at today. My prayer, my, my goal, my aim, my purpose this morning is that you would come out of here loving God more and the gospel more, but that you would treasure this book all the more. Not to worship the book, but worship the God who gave the inspiration from the book itself or to the book. May we pray together. Father, thank you so much. We thank you that you have given us not just another testimony, as some believe, not just another tradition, as some hold. Father, you don't just give us another word that contradicts the many other words that have been spoken by many other people, but Father, you have given us the inspired inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, practical, relevant, clear Bible. Father, those are big words, but Lord, we pray at the most practical recesses of our hearts and our families and our church, from our young ones to our old ones to our society, that we would go back to what is in this book. 
Father, not just because that's what we've always done, but because that's what you've told us to do. Father, may we do it with a heart ready and willing to serve. Father, thank you so much for this dear church that's told us so well. It's maybe preaching to the choir today, Father, but every choir even gets off tune occasionally, myself being chief of that. So, Father, thank you that you are sufficient and your word is as well. Give us wisdom now. May you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Thank you. As many of you know, the uh, uh, this is just an interesting topic because there's so much that can be said. And I say that a lot with our topical sermons, even as we went verse by verse, and it still are through Mark. But there's so much that can be said here. But I, I just want to define our terms before we get too far. As we talk about sola scriptura, the Bible alone, the scripture alone, I want to tell you first off what it doesn't mean. Now, for, for instance, I want to say this. All truth is found in the Bible from soup to nuts. I mean, there's all sorts of things in there. You, you, have, you have cooking instructions from Esau about how to give away your birthright to you have how to build things in Noah. You have lots of things. But what we are not saying with Sola Scriptura is that this book is going to tell you how to fly an airplane, how to build a rocket, how to whatever else. What we are saying is, is that God has given us all truth necessary for us found in the Bible. But secondly, what we're also saying, and you'll see this on the screen, is that all revelation has been deposited in the Bible. That's a long list. I'm going to email this out because I know it's a long list. All revelation has been given in the Bible. So when Joe Schmo comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord. Okay, Joe Schmo, what is that word from the Lord? And they say, well, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. God told me that. Well, Joe Schmo, guess what? The Bible says Jesus is the only way to heaven. So guess what? Who would be right in that instance? Clearly not Joe Schmo. That's why he's named Joe Schmo. But you get the purpose. If something is said to you from someone representing, claiming to be from God, and it says that, 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 uh, that the Bible is not true in this instance, we're not saying that God can never speak through someone. But what we are saying is that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that someone cannot hear from the Lord or be directed from the Lord. But all revelation has been given in the Bible, and that is sufficient enough. I think that's clear. Third, what we are not saying is that all Scripture is equally clear. Let me be honest with you. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.17, he said, Paul's words are really hard to understand. They're really hard to understand. The Apostle Peter saying that about Paul. So there are times even the apostles looked at each other and said, look, there's some tough stuff out there. Guys, when we say the Bible alone, we're not saying that there's not hard parts of the Bible. But just like when you are trying to figure out for the millionth time how to put that package together that has the instruction list and you screwed in where you think those screws should go and you do it a time and time again and you say these instructions are wrong and then finally you get the you you dumb down your pride and you call the helpline and say hey where does this screw go and they tell you and you're like oh man that would have saved me six hours of my wife's scorn if I had just done it right the first time what we are saying is is that Scripture alone is there, but it doesn't mean that there aren't hard parts of Scripture. We take the easier parts of Scripture, the more lit ones, to talk about the other ones. Now, we're also not saying that Scripture alone doesn't mean there's no illumination of the Spirit. What I mean by that is, is that there is a need for every Christian to know and be closer to the Lord. Friends, I've, wouldn't it be great 
with you. When you became a Christian, God just injected you with all the information you'd ever need to know about anything and everything in him for the rest of your life. Might be interesting, but it would take away a lot of things. Friends, you need to go to the Bible each day. You need to pray, Lord, open my heart to understand. Look, the Bible is so deep, guys, that a simple child can get it, but the deepest theologians will never plumb the depths of it because the Bible is that clear and that deep. But it doesn't mean that you don't need the Spirit to work in your life. It also doesn't mean, Scripture alone, that you don't need a teaching ministry. I mean, think about it. If God just injected you with all that you need to know about the Bible, then why have a teacher? But that's not what we see. As we'll see in our scripture this morning, there is a need for teaching, including the teachers most of all need to be taught. And finally, what we're not saying is there's no need for the church to be the pillar and support of truth, 1 Timothy 3.15, or to exalt the scripture and point men to the light. Friends, the scripture alone is sufficient. But there's many things, and we can, I'll unpack these in a blog this week, but these are the things that we don't mean. But what do we, knew, what do we mean? Amy's going to put this up for you. What we are saying is this, and this is straight out of, almost word for word, our Baptist faith and message, our document of belief. We are saying that when we say the Bible alone, we are saying that all things are necessary for salvation, faith, and life are clearly taught in the Bible alone for ordinary believers with ordinary means to discover. You don't have to have a priest speaking Latin to give you the Bible today. You don't have to have Darren speaking like an auctioneer every Sunday giving you the Bible. But at the same time, you need to know that everything that you need is right inside this book. But often we don't think that way, and we'll get there in just a minute. Friends, men, women, children, teenagers, old, young, rich, poor, powerful, not powerful, have given their lives, literally, burned on stakes that we might have this Bible today. Crazy, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon, he can't get away from being a Midwestern seminary graduate and not say a Charles Spurgeon quote or two. You know, Charles Spurgeon said that a Bible that's falling apart is usually found with someone who's not. A Bible falling apart is usually found with someone who's not because he believed, as we do, that the Bible alone is sufficient for all matters of faith and of practice. I want to break those down in four quick ways this morning, and I promise they will be quick as we go through. Look back at your text, 2 Timothy 3.16. Look back at what it says. Paul writes to Timothy near the end of his life, probably his last letter, actually his last letter, and he says this to Timothy. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed or breathed out by God. First thing I want you to see this morning is that the Scripture alone enlightens us. It enlightens us to the how, the why, the purpose of the universe is all that we need right here. You know, have you ever seen someone ask you before, you know, Darren, what's the purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing here? What, what's my purpose in this world? And they go on Oprah, or is it, Oprah's not around, Dr. Phil, or, or Ellen, or one of those people, and it amazes me. It amazes me how they come to themselves, and they find themselves, and it has nothing to do with anything God ever made them to be. It has nothing to do with anything that the Scripture actually says. But it also amazes me how little Bible there are in so many preacher sermons. We talk so highly of the Bible. But there's one famous preacher, and you know who he is. He holds up a Bible every week, and he says, this is my Bible. It is what I say say I am, and I have what it says I have. And that's a great statement. It really, really is. It's sort of a pledge of allegiance to the Bible. And you are what the Bible says you are. It sits down and preaches a message, but 90% of his talk coming out of that is self-help, coming from those same talk shows. 
It's like the Jesus juke. He gets in there and he quotes a scripture and then he jukes the other way to do his own thing. Look, if the Bible is really sufficient alone in enlightening us, then why do we treat it if it's not the, the case? There seems to be kind of a latent understanding, I think, in the, the church today that the Bible's for the religious part of our life. You know, that's good for Sundays, maybe for Wednesday nights, but it doesn't speak to the way and pick on anything else in our lives. Friends, do you believe the Bible is practical for all your life? Do you believe that? How easy it is to say, it, like, it's great for the spiritual side, but when it comes to the nuts and bolts of life, the Bible, you know, it might speak to that and influence that, but sometimes you look and maybe you've said this, Jesus, you're just not very street smart. Jesus, you just don't get what's going on. Come on, Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the school of hard knocks, we might say, but the scripture says it's breathed out by God. It is what enlightens us. It is what gives it to us. So it's not just teaching instruction on how to be human, but it's teaching instruction, the Bible is, on how to live. Let me give you an example. And this one's going to, it cut me really hard this week. Matthew 5.42 says, give to the one who asks of you. Matthew 5.42, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Surely, Jesus, you didn't mean that. Give to the one who asks you. I mean, they will use just, you know, Jesus, that, that bum on the street at, at, at the corner, they're just going to use that money. Jesus, you, we know how you're going to use that money. He, we know. Jesus, come on, what are you saying? Give to the one who asks of you. Jesus, we're just going to enable those guys. Let me show you what life is really like, Jesus. I mean, we got this. We've been around Jesus. We got this. Am I stepping on some toes yet? If you're just guessing on how they look, Jesus didn't say, except when, give to them. He said, give to them, without exception. The way we believe, the way we trust Jesus to be street smart is if he really believed, not only, not only has he designed, bolt, and created the things the street are made out of, but he also knows the minds of people of all eternity. And he's clued us into the deeper and deeper reality to hold on to money. What will, we, what will we use it on? Probably a Starbucks latte or a caribou coffee or, or me, pizza. You're just guessing about the other guy. And Jesus says some really crazy things in the Bible. Ask for a coat and give them your shirt. But Jesus, it's cold outside. Man, what are you talking about? Go a mile? and, and Go a mile? Jesus, I can't even walk a mile. And you want me to go two with them? What are you saying? Doesn't sound like someone who knows what life is really all about, does it? That crazy Jesus guy. But 2 Timothy 3.12 says, if you go down just a couple verses, Paul reminded Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. He reminded them that while evil people and imposters, verse 13, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, he told Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. If we are playing how life is, how life is really light game with the scripture, we'd best look at Paul's earthly hell and say there's got to be a better way. Friends, because the Bible is God-breathed, it tells us what life is really all about. The scripture alone, as you'll see on the screen, connects to your real life. It does. The large truths of scripture connect to the small spaces of daily life. That's what it's all about. So, it gives us a true reality we now see in the world. I mean, how could Jesus give the shirt to the guy who asked the coat or, or, or those who were being asked to, had a, a greater treasure because they knew that shirt meant nothing to them, but the scripture implied it to them. 
The scripture enlightens us to be true. It enlightens us. I mean, do you know that 100 out of 100 CrossFitters die every time they do CrossFit? Do you think about that? Or 100 out of 100 kale eaters die every time that they eat kale? And I love all those great diet things. They just don't tell you that when they sign you up, right? But the Bible helps us not only to tell us to, how to die after we die, but that's the worst thing that can happen to you is that you don't believe that this scripture is God-breathed, that it enlightens you and makes you wise for salvation. Friend, the only those who build their lives in the word will live into the next one the way that God wants us to. So the Bible enlightens us. Let's go to the second one. The Bible also, scripture alone, examines us, examines us. When Paul says here that all scripture is God-breathed, he's affirming that everything in this book, from Genesis to Revelation, is exactly how God wanted it to be. And as a result, it is, according to the word, that your conscience is clear when you go to it. So if you notice there in verse 16, he also says that it's profitable for teaching and for reproof. Teaching and for reproof. Sometimes we come to the Bible and we demand that it prove itself. Show me, Bible, how you are relevant to me today. Bible, show me how you're practical to me today. And now the scripture says, are you relevant? And the Bible comes at us with a red pen, not the other way around. Maybe you remember those bad experiences you had in high school where your page was white when you turned it in and it looked really red when you got it back. That's how often we see ourselves when we reflect on the Bible. The Bible doesn't respect our personal space. When we believe that it is the Scripture alone, the Spirit working through the Scripture alone, that it's profitable for reproof and for correction. There's not much difference between these two, but the Bible whips us into shape. Let's just break this down. The Bible examines us. Reproof is about personal conviction. You're reading through the Bible one day, and and, and the Bible reproves you, and you're out of step with something, or you have guilt, and uh, the Spirit implies in your heart, and and you just say, look, I'm not obeying as I should. The Bible reproves you. It, it, It reproves you at that point. But always with a good reproof, there's a good correction. And what correction here means in the Bible, how it examines us alone through the Spirit working, is that it brings us comfort. Reproof is like when uh, I just went to the dentist and I got my first uh, uh, cavity in 33 years of my young life. It's like the, you know, they ask those questions. You're on the chair, your mouth's wide open, you're, you're trying to survive that alone. And then they come to you and say, Darren, you haven't been flossing every day, have you? What am I supposed to say in that moment? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sure, sure I have. And I said yes, and he, he looked at me square in the face, that dentist did, and he said, Darren, you're lying through your teeth. Well, I can't talk through my teeth, but I'm doing something right now. You better believe it. And he corrected me, and he said, there's, there's something that you can do to help that. And that's what the Bible does, guys. It reproves us. It shows us the diagnosis. And then by God's grace, the same Spirit who brings conviction through the Scripture on our hearts tells us through correction the steps we need to take. Aren't you grateful for that? Have you, have you ever gone to the self-help section before? I mean, guys, why is there a self-help section? It's because no one's getting any help. And we keep writing about how we can help ourselves. And it does nothing. You want to get rich? Go write a book that has 10 pages of some good content and then repeat the same content over and over with different words. And you've got a self-help book. You can sell millions of copies. I'm grateful that the scripture doesn't leave us there. I'm grateful that it says we are sinners. But I'm all equally grateful, aren't you, that it says that we are sinners, that at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? 
we can't come away from the scripture not feeling convicted or challenged, especially on the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned. It's easy to think of objections or things that come up in, in, in Jesus' most famous sermon, for instance. But if I'm living as a person in this world that reproves me and corrects me, and it tells me that I need to repent and believe the gospel, the scripture tells me that I need to take up my cross daily, and, and it corrects my heart, and it gives us comfort in the gospel. And when Satan comes and says, Darren, you're back with the same sin over and over and over again. God could never love you again. I can point back at him and say, yeah, I've messed up. And I've been reproved, but the correction is, is that in my theology, I know that God so loved Jesus, and so the Father loves Jesus the same, Christ loves me the same. And the gospel brings me comfort. When Satan gets up and says, you terrible sinner, what comes thereafter is I go to Romans 5, and it says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the scripture does, guys. But if you were to go outside the scripture, you would get five million opinions. You ever posted something on Facebook? You ever asked for a recommendation? You want some fun this afternoon? Go ask for a recommendation on Facebook. See what opinions you get. Go ask what barbecue restaurant people in Kansas City like, and I bet you're going to get 100 opinions on the issue. The scriptures have to examine us, Paul says to Timothy, because we all see the sin in others more than we see the sin in ourselves. It doesn't take a whole lot of insight to see another sin, but it takes divine intervention to see and acknowledge and mourn your own sin. How easy it is for me up here from the pulpit to say, hey, there are some guys out there who say, this is my Bible, I am what I says it am, and all these things, and I get very angry, and, and I see the sin in those false teachers, but how easy it is to say, Darren, look how you have fallen. Pastor, look how you ate your own words from that sermon you gave two weeks ago or whatever it is. We're less ready to be held up by ourselves, which is why it got quiet with the homeless thing just a few moments ago. What would you see if the Bible examined you? Hebrews 4.12 reminds us that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged thing. And what if the Bible did this thing to you? What if it searched your heart? You know the cool thing? God, through the Holy Spirit, doesn't need your permission. He just goes at it. It's kind of like the woman at the well, John chapter 4. You just want to get your water out and get out. Remember that story, guys? You grew up in the church. You remember the story? She's down there getting water. She goes down, not at the usual time of the day. She goes because she's got a history. She's been married several times. And then there's this guy just sitting there. Oh, man, I was just coming to get water. Just let me get out of here. Don't make eye contact, Jesus. I see you there, but he's waiting on you. Do unto others. That's a great verse, Jesus. But Jesus isn't a respecter of persons, is he? Or of space. You're thirsty. You'll never thirst again, he told her. And finally, through all that talk we, with, with Jesus, she just wanted to get her water and get out. But the scriptures through the word of God, the literal word of God in her midst, showed her, examined her, reproved her. But she went back and told all the people that there's great grace for all her sin. That's what the scripture does. That's what the scripture does. Friends, if we spend half the amount of time for the Bible to reprove us than others, we spend the other half of our time in correction, the comfort side. So the scripture alone enlightens us. It brings the God-breathed scripture in. It examines us. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction. But I want you to see, thirdly, it empowers us. Look back at your scriptures here. Look back as he says, and for training in righteousness, for training in righteousness, you know, are, are many of you familiar with Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago? Bill Hybels, does that name ring a bell for some of you? Some hands. 
You know, this is an interesting survey. They did this almost, uh, it's hard to believe, some of the pastor guys in here, you'll remember this, but uh, over 10 years ago, Willow Creek, which many of our local churches have patterned after over the years, did a survey, bold and brave survey. They're, they're, a, they, they're what might be called a seeker-sensitive church in old times, and they do church a certain way. And what happened is they were, they were seeing something really strange happen. They were seeing their more mature, their more uh, uh, godly people slowly trickle out the back door. And they wondered why. And it took a lot of guts, to be honest with you, to ask the question. Biggest church in America at the time, 30,000, 40,000 people. So they asked the question to their most mature, godly people. Why are you wanting to leave this church? And you know what they said? You're not teaching us anything. You're not giving us anything. The Bible study has gone alongside. And you know what the church found in doing the survey? They found that the number one catalyst for spiritual growth and keeping people in the church was Bible study. Did you catch that? It wasn't the entertainment band. It wasn't the fog. They don't do fog machines there. It wasn't the fog machine. It wasn't the cool tie the pastor was wearing. It wasn't the slick presentation. People wanted the word of God. And you know what they did? They started to pattern their church after the word of God. You know, we often say, you know, pastor, we don't need another Bible study. Guys, that's exactly what we need. Sometimes we need more study. And what these churches found is their people were leaving because they did not do that. But do people know their Bibles too well? The Bible isn't just a religious textbook and info. It's about transformation, empowering you to live the life because the word is power. How do you walk into a situation and convince people who don't know the gospel, the gospel itself? You share the word of God. Look, the word is a powerful hammer, guys, that has broken the hardest anvils of resistance that men may ever offer. You're an evidence of that. I'm an evidence of that. Because we were once far off, have now been brought near by the, the blood of Christ. That's why he tells Timothy here to be trained in righteousness. Not just because it tells us to do it so, but because the word of God, with the spirit working through it, empowers us supernaturally. And it's not just some phil philosophical system. You know, Pastor, if we just get more Bible in people, then people are going to live right. Oh, really? Friends, you need to pray. Not just that the head knowledge would be there, but by the Spirit and the Word of God, that hammer of the Word would be the Spirit working out through His breathed out Word that causes thing that, things to happen that wouldn't usually happen. It's amazing. Preaching is a supernatural act that we do right here. You well know, friends, that anyone can get up here and talk for 50 minutes. You, you know, some of you joked with me before, Darren, I could never get up there and preach for 45, 50 minutes. But you talk to your kids for 45 or 50 minutes, don't you? You talk to your boss. You can do a lot of things. You can talk for 45 or 50 minutes about anything. But what Timothy is being told here is, is that the word is what empowers his ministry. The word is what it undergirds his ministry. The central idea of the gospel is that it's all power. How do you have power in your life to live the victorious Christian life? You allow the Spirit to train you in righteousness through the Word of God. And that's why Romans 1.16 reminds us that the gospel is the power of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 said, Paul told the Thessalonians he didn't come to them with words, but he came to them with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that, that basically the power is against the foolish, that there are people who will say, that's craziness, but for those who see it, it is the salvation to the word of God. In Ezekiel 37, many of you know the story. There's a valley of dry, dead bones. Gilbert and I were looking at this about a month ago as we're studying through some theology books together. And there's a valley of dry bones, and all these bones are dead. I mean, they're just dead. And God asked uh, Elijah, he says, Elijah, how will these bones live? And you remember what Elijah said to him? Do you guys remember? Elijah didn't say, give me five months and let me come up with a strategy. Or let me take that to the committee. Or, or, or yes, I, you know, I went to seminary, the school of the prophets, and I read about how to be a good preacher. And I know if you do this there and you're two and you do this year over here. But no, when God asked him, Ezekiel, how can these dead bones live? You know what Ezekiel says? He says, I don't know. You know, Lord. He says, only God knows. And the Lord doesn't say, give the bones a pep talk. Give them a rah, rah, rah. Give them a pep rally. Go, Chiefs. Beat those Redskins. Go, Chiefs. Go. Go, Chiefs. Go. Go, Ezekiel. Go. Go. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't put up motivational posters. He says, he doesn't say, you can do it, bones. Get together. Just just believe and you can do it. Try hard enough. The Lord says, as Paul tells Timothy here, that the training in righteousness starts when the Lord says, bones, hear the word of the Lord. And when we are reading and sharing God's word, that is when people come alive. Friends, how are you empowered? How do, you, how do we take these precious little ones that we dedicated to the Lord and see them come to Christ? It's not by persuasion. It's not by twisting of an arm. It's not by putting them before a council. The scripture alone informs us that it's God's truth alone that will save them. Can you imagine yourself at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11? And you're at the mouth of Lazarus' tomb. You're weary, you're doubtful, and you're tired. And then you say, come forth. And then what happens? Well, well, Lazarus has to be taught how to come forth. He's dead. Well, no, he has to be taught. Darren, don't you understand? No. The word of God by Jesus was Lazarus come forth, and he came forth. But, but, but he has to be preached at. He has to be taught. He has to be read. No, he's dead. How do you get Lazarus to come forth by the word of God? Friend, how do dead souls live again? By the word of God. Church, that should be the greatest encouragement to you. Because I don't know about you. I am not persuasive. I'm not fancy. Uh, we go to bed just like you do at night, exhausted, tired, and sick of Facebook, ready to throw the thing out the window with everything that happens. We want our kids to grow up in a godly home. We want all those things, but the only way they are empowered to do that is going back to the Word. How do we train men, women, young, old, churches in righteousness? We do it by the Word of God alone. Now, is it okay to go to a seminar? Of course it is, guys. Of course it is. And I'm stealing a line from a good friend of mine in this last bullet point, but the, the primary message of, I think it says Christmas up there. Sorry about that. I should say Christians isn't to behave or become. I know, I just caught that too. But it's behold. Friends, you can, it's not just teaching our kids to train them to be better people, to be better moral people, to be better citizens. That's great. If we want people to be trained in righteousness, to act right and get their act together just to behave, then come to the Bible. It says not because you tell them to act right. It's because God has saved them and opened their eyes to see that only the Scripture can inform them of these things. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God trains us to renounce unrighteousness. Church, to be more Christ-like, we need to behold Jesus. 
to be more Christ-like, to empower our families and our church, we need to receive the word as God has given it to us. We need to be more enthralled with what we read in the Bible than the status updates, the Twitter feeds, the social media that comes on our screen and our face most of the day. If we are not enthralled by what God has done for us in the gospel, how that's explained to be lived out in the scriptures, then we will never be empowered to do the work that God has called us to do. I have a good friend of mine uh, who I met in college who was not a Christian, who has become a Christian in recent days, but he had a testimony that he went to church after he had a family. Isn't that what most people do? They come to church, and uh, it's great. Thank, thank the Lord for this, that they feel some obligation to raise their kids in a different way than perhaps they were raised, or they were raised in the church, and they know that's the, that's the thing to do, and they bring them back. And this friend sat under the gospel preaching. His wife was a Christian. She got saved not long after they got married. And they had two young kids. And he took his family to church for two years. And I remember talking with him in seminary. And he just said, Darren, I don't know how you want to preach this stuff. This stuff's boring, man. Are you serious? You believe that a dead guy rose again? Is this some alien sci-fi movie? What is, what is this stuff? And he would joke with me, and I'd take it tongue-in-cheek. He's an unsaved guy, but he's going to a good church. He's hearing the word preached every week. Finally, two years in, the pastor got up, as the pastor often did, and said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And my friend, he told me in an email, he said he started bawling his eyes out because for once in his life, the word made sense. And it started coming down. The fountain started coming down, and he got saved. And it was different than how he had heard it before. And he ate this book up, not literally, but he ate it up. He loves it. He's serving in the ministry now because someone was not afraid to keep training him and teaching him even when everything else was falling by the wayside. It wasn't a motivational talk. It was the training in righteousness, not just behave this way, non-Christian, but behold your God who is over here in this way. It's the power of the word. Let's do one last thing. The word not only enlightens us, examines us, and empowers us, but I want you to see verse 17, it, exam it establishes us ready. Look at verse 17, if you will. Paul writing the very last, and there's so much, again, you can unpack with this. We're kind of devotionalizing it to a point. But verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Look, we know where the truth is, guys. We know where hope is. We know where wisdom is. We know where the word of God is. And it says for every good work. This is so helpful to see this. You don't have to look anywhere else with respect to our Mormon friends. You don't need another testament of Jesus Christ. The only testament is found right in this word. You don't, with respect to the Catholic Church, need tradition and popes and papal bulls with respect to people who believe in those things. Friends, we have the sufficient word of God, and as it says, it is that which may make us competent and equipped for every good work. That's good to know. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, uh, I, I, I accidentally left uh, some, uh, I, I left a diaper and some pants a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it was me. I'm pretty sure it was me. If you've ever put a diaper, not a cloth diaper, but a diaper and a pair of pants and put them in the washing machine, <laughs> you know how this goes, right? Uh, we started our Ask the Pastor late a couple weeks ago because uh, my wife doing diligent work. Uh, anyway, it's me. And how many times can you Google, how do you get out those little beady seeds out of your washing machine? And this site said, take it to the, the chiropractor, take it to the contractor. <laughs> 
This one said, take it over here. This one said, do it this. And my wife, bless her heart, just said, why don't we just clean the thing out? You know, we were looking everywhere for the solution to get those little beads that help those diapers stay on our little, little, little guys. How do, how do you get those things out? Eventually, you just wipe them out and take them out. That's what you do. But we were, I was so frantic. Well, how are we going to fix the machine? What are we going to do? Well, this site says this. This site says this. This site says this. And thank God for my godly wife who just said, let's just do this. <laughs> Guys, that's often how we do it with the scriptures. Something happens in your life, and you say, man, Say, you know, uh, man, I got to call my friends. What, what does this person think about this? Or I got to go to my Facebook crowd, you know, all five people who follow my feed and, and get their feedback. And I got to go over here and see this and this expert here and this expert here and this expert here. But what the Bible tells us is everything I need to know, everything I need to be, everything I need to do is found sufficiently right here in this word. You don't need to look anywhere else. The Bible doesn't serve my points as a pastor or vice versa. I serve the God of the Scripture. The Bible doesn't need our help. That's why I don't have to come up here each week and impress you with my oratory skills. You know better than that anyway. The Scripture is enough. The Bible affirms that the grass fades, Isaiah 48, but the Word of God stands forever. Luke 18, 3, 8, 13 rather. Hear the Word and receive it with joy. Colossians 2, 7. You've been rooted and built up just as you were taught in the faith. 2 Timothy 2.15, stand firm and hold to the traditions taught by a spoken or by letter. Psalm 1, stand not in the counsel of the wicked, but delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates like a stream by the waters. Friends, outside of the word, we are a wispy, wobbly people. We are like that Jenga game where you get down to the bottom. If you know, you pull those things out. You're wondering how that Jenga thing's going to go. And then someone just pulls it out just to drop it down and let it fall. You know what faith is? Faith is admitting, guys, that Scripture says what it says about you is true in every way, and that what it says about God is, and his help is absolutely essential. Amy will put that up. How does a man of God, how do you as a, a family member, how do you as a leader grow in your person before the Lord in his image and in the body of Christ? You remind yourself that the Word of God roots us, builds us, grounds us, and establishes us if we set ourselves before it. You remember the temptation of Eve and Christ, don't you? There's a difference. You remember in the garden, Satan said to Eve, did God really say that you can't do that? And do you remember what Jesus was told when he was tempted in the desert? What did Satan say? Well, don't the scriptures say this? Do you know the difference between Eve's temptation and Christ? Eve ran out of Bible verses of what God said. She really did. She said, well, God said this, and that's, that's this, and then she just kind of made up her own stuff. But in the temptation of Christ, he kept saying what? It is written. It is written. It is written. It's been said. He didn't run out of Bible verses. The wise person, the wise husband, the wise grandma, the wise pastor, the wise Sunday school teacher built his house on the Word of God because we never run out of verses. The Bible is sufficient to establish us in the face of any danger. Nothing we are meant to do isn't laid out in the scriptures. Okay, here's the big elephant in the room. We'll close with this. Darren, how does the Bible tell me what color shirt I should wear to work tomorrow? No, it doesn't. Does the Bible tell us who's going to win the World Series this year? Well, it's not the Royals, so I can tell you that already, all right? <laughs> they might hit 500 if they're, if they're blessed providentially today. But look, four implications. You can write these down, and it's the last slide. 
Four implications of believing the scripture alone answers these questions. What should we do? It's spelled out in the Bible. What should we believe? It's spelled out in the Bible. How should we worship? It's spelled out in the Bible. And how should we, and I capitalize we intentionally, together as a church live together, it's spelled out in the Bible. But Darren, there's different denominations, there's different things. Sure, guys, there are. There really are. But God tells us that the Bible is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. How should we live together? Some today may not accept that, that Scripture tells us these things, but friends, it is sufficient. It is. And we're going to hold our church to that more and more as we result out of these surveys we've taken and look forward to the future of what God has for us, how we organize ourselves, how we look at ourselves. All these things are going to come back to, is this enough? And if it is, then friends, we're on the right path. And if we're on the right path, then praise God because we need to bring others with us. And as we do, may God be glorified. Friends, check everything that is said to you against the scripture itself. You are not saved by a church. You're not saved by a priest. You are not saved by tradition. You are not saved by good works. You're not saved by sincerity. You are saved by Christ. And that's what we know. When Martin Luther took that thing and went, boom, and nailed it on the door, things changed. Things changed. Because Martin Luther was a super saint, no. Because those guys, even as imperfect as they were, went back to this word and it radically changed everything. Christian, are you treasuring the word of God or are you hating the word of God right now? Take that before the Lord as we pray. Let's pray. Father, as we come to a big topic today, as we look through all these things, we are greatly reminded this morning that nothing we can do, say, or ever pronounce can ever overtake what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we thank you that the the scripture not only shows us the way of salvation, but it encourages us, it enlightens us, it empowers us, it establishes us. Father, it even examines us. And Father, as we do these things to the glory of your name, I pray this isn't just a theological exercise, but Father, I pray, if we know nothing else, that we just go back to the Bible. Father, help us to do that. Help us to do that in how we live, what we think, how we worship, how we live together, what we believe. Lord, may all these things point back to you. Father, you are good. There is no other truth needed except in the Bible. But, Father, I thank you, though, that as we said, this doesn't mean that every, every rocket science plan is laid out in the Scriptures. You give general revelation and great common grace to many folks. But, Father, spiritually speaking, everything we have and need is found in the Scriptures. Father, thank you. Thank you that Christ alone is our Savior. We praise you for him, not by our works, but all by his grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You'll join me standing as we close out this morning. Uh, if you're here before us and you have a need that you'd like to pray through or talk through, I'll be up front. Uh, as we say, walking an aisle does not save you. Christ saves you. There's no magical line that if you walk down this aisle, you're going to become a Christian. Only Christ does that. But if you'd like to talk or set a time, we'd be glad to do that to God's glory. Let's sing today.
Speak one.